Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this season. Lord, first and foremost, it is the glory of you exposed in your Son, Lord, that most grabs us. We're captured at the fact that the creator of the world would step out and assume flesh and lay in a manger. So that captures us first, Lord. But as Christians, Lord, we also see your hand in so many other areas. We see the graciousness and kindness of gifts and a sweet word from a friend. We see children and grandchildren as blessings and gifts from God. Everything good, from the fa- everything good that comes down from the Father above is a blessing to us from you, Lord. And so you've changed our worldview. We, we look at family different. We look at events different. We look at life different. Because Jesus stepped out of heaven. And you gave us peace through him. So Lord, I pray that you would capture us once again with this familiar story. But as Pastor Jerry prayed this morning in our meeting, it never gets old. This story captures us. That our Savior, the creator of the universe, would step out of glory, become a man so he could die for us in order to grant us peace with his heavenly Father. So Lord, I pray you would challenge us, you would encourage us, you would save those here that are lost You would cause Christians to walk with you in a greater way, Lord. So may your word ring forth, Lord, in glorious truth from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a beautiful narrative, and it is one that many of us who are Christians are very familiar with. But it is times like this that we stop stop and slow down and think about the reality of what took place. You have the creator, and think about him, creator of not just all that you can see, he created time, space, and history. Think about that. Creator of time. Creator of space. Creator of all that. He steps out of heaven and reveals the very glory of God to us and how we can have peace with that God. This is an astounding moment. Paul put it this way, at the fullness of time, at the perfect time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The perfect time in all of history, God chose this moment. His son obeyed him and stepped out of heaven and came. It's spectacular. You cannot make this stuff up. We have a God and Savior with us. Paul says it this way, For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. None of us know God except through Christ. There are no God followers. We know him through Jesus Christ. You would not know him if without him, without Christ. He is the revelation He is the one who exposes us to the Almighty. He represents Him perfectly because He shares His nature. He is God. And He's now in a manger to save us from our sins. 
There's nothing special about this time of year really in the Jewish calendar. But that was all about to change. And through the world um, was wicked, just like it is today. And things were greatly embellished, uh, much like Christmas is today. The true story of Christmas is often lost. All that was going to change. All that was going to change. And for the last 2,000 years, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have honored this day in remembrance of the Incarnation. And we continue to do that because it is in the incarnation we see the very glory of God and we know by God's grace we can receive his peace. I want to rehearse this story in the first two points and then focus in on his glory and grace in the last two. First thought, the fullness of time has come. Look at these verses that Gary read for us. It says, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken by Quinarius, was, well, Quinarius was a governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Great explanation there, isn't it? Because he was of the house and family of David. In order to be registered along with Mary, who he was engaged to and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Well, there's no written record of law by Caesar Augustus at this time. We don't have recordings of that. But there are recordings from about... 20 B.C. to 10 B.C., that this was something that often happened. Censuses were taken from 20 A.D. after, they still have the records of that. And you say, well, where, where is this census coming from? Well, most likely the census or the decree that Luke is speaking about here is coming from individual rulers under Caesar Augustus, under Rome. And most theologians believe that this is Herod's clever way of gathering people and doing what? getting money he was a wicked man and like many politicians they're after money they're after power and so here we believe that Herod had put together for the sake of patriotism and family a way to get people back to his area that he ruled in so he could tax them and know who belonged there the Roman registration census would have counted people where they lived they would not have had to move back to where their family line was. They wouldn't want to know where they are living at. And so we believe this is another tool of wicked Herod in order to know who to tax and who to get money from and rule over. Now, he doesn't stop there. You know, as the story goes on, recorded in Matthew, that the Magi later on come to him anywhere from three months to two years later. They come seeking the baby. They've seen the star in the east they had heard most likely from Daniel that there was a Messiah coming. The Ancients of Days was going to be on the earth and they were seeking him. King Herod again uses his wicked schemes. He lets them do all the homework to find out where this child is. And then he begins to put into place his wickedness. Herod was a great student of Egypt. 
and especially their world dominance. He loved that power. And so anyone who got in his way, he would want to exterminate. We know, record shows us, that he often killed his own family members if he thought that they would threaten his throne. And it didn't take long for him to put a plan together to kill babies. And you can read of that in Matthew chapter 2. History tells us probably somewhere between 15 to 30 babies would have been in that little area. And all those boys died at the hands of this wicked man. But God is still in control. I think so often we struggle, we we watch wicked man and the way he works and the way his mind thinks. And we think, oh, where is God? Well, God's in the middle of that. He is not charged with their wickedness. They will stand before God for their wickedness. But God uses and designs all things. He has control of all. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21 that the king's heart is like a stream of water that God turns the way he wants. And he uses all of this. And God used Herod to bring about this time and place, this census to be taken in order to bring this child into the world. And here we see the Creator lining up on the runway to come into time and space and history. Notice in verse 4, the Bible says that Joseph also went up to Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and family of David. Well, this promise goes all the way back to particularly to 2 Samuel chapter 7. There God promises David that he would have sons that would come from the line, his lineage, that would rule and reign, but particularly one that would come that would reign forever. His kingdom would have no end to it. Well, Solomon died, and Jeroboam and Rehoboam certainly died, and so forth and so forth, as we studied the genealogy of Jesus Christ a few weeks ago. This was pointing to something more important. This was the coming Messiah that the Bible had spoke of. This takes you all the way back to one who would crush the head of the serpent found in Genesis 3.15. Now, verse 4 tells us that the prophecy was that this child, this Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And that certainly goes back to the prophet, um, the minor prophet Micah. In chapter 5, verse 2, he said, O you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are you too little among the clans of Judah? From, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old and from ancient of days. And that's why I started out here, this Christ, this Messiah, this Jesus we love and follow. He, he's, he's from old. He's, he's eternally past. He has no beginning. And now the creator of time and space is coming. Both Luke and Matthew prove the genealogy of Jesus in the line of David. They take little different routes, one proving his right to the throne, the other proving the bloodline that Jesus belonged there. And he was coming this line through King David into Bethlehem. It's interesting, when you study um, the Jews during Jesus' walk on earth, they, they knew little about the Bible at times. There had been 400 years of silence. They had not had prophets. But they knew enough that the, 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 
Messiah was to come to Bethlehem. And as they began to provoke and try to argue with the Lord Jesus, they would say things like this. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? See, they didn't even understand that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. They didn't understand that he was of the line of David. They mocked him as coming from an illegitimate birth, uh, a woman like Mary who was pregnant outside of the betrothal period. They did not understand that, but certainly the apostles did. Paul, as he speaks about the gospel in 2 Timothy 2, 8, says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Then he says this, the offspring of David, as I preach my gospel. The offspring of David. So here he is, this fulfillment, as we see this narrative. Look at verse 5 with me. The Bible says that he, in order to be registered along with his wife, who was engaged to him, was with child. And so there's this betrothal period, your Bible might say, or an engagement period here. We talked about that last week. And we know that Mary, after she realized what was going to happen to her, as the angel spoke to her, that she stayed three months with her with her cousin Elizabeth. And we know as we studied that this was a socially isolated time for them and, and yet she's pregnant outside of wedlock and there's, there's all kinds of problems happening here. There's, there's protection that needed to be provided by Elizabeth. She was truly a Titus II woman. But I believe Luke is referring to Mary as Joseph's betrothed wife because they had not consummated the marriage. And that's very important as we talked about last week. This child could not be of Joseph. This child had to be of God by the Holy Spirit in order not to carry the sinful nature of man. And so I believe this reference here as you look at it in verse 5 is to remind us that he was still engaged. It was a betrothal period. It was to remind us that, Mary, that Joseph held off his rights his privileges as a married man he held that off and 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 we don't know when the ceremony takes place there's no count of it in the scriptures i don't know if it was a quiet one and and maybe just with them and who knows what happened here the bible does not tell us but joseph and mary must have laid everything down they had hoped for as a young couple because of the announcement of the lord jesus christ coming into the womb of mary Maybe they held to this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Remember, they're Old Testament saints. They would have maybe held to this, be strong and be, cur- be full of courage. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Maybe they had great rebuke against their family. Many others pointed at them. Mary never lost this mark on her as we see the Pharisees mock her. But then, they, then the Bible said this, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Can you imagine them making that long journey from Galilee to Bethlehem, reciting a verse like this? God is with us. God is with us. Have you ever been in a position that's so difficult, people don't understand what you're going through, that you have to remind yourself that God is with you? I can only imagine how many times they said to themselves, God is with us. Be strong. Be courageous. No one else understands, but we will obey God. See, the Christmas story teaches us about lordship. If he was not lord of their life, if they were not captured with God, that what God was doing and spoke to them in a spectacular way through angels, if they did not believe that message, you would not go through this. It's an amazing message. 
And they believed, and this speaks of lordship, one who is willing to lay their life down, lay their dreams, the white picket fence, all of that lay that down in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. This is a mark of a believer, and I love this couple because they're very encouraging to me as I watch them walk through a difficult time with very few people probably understanding Notice verse 6 and 7. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. This is Galatians 4, 4, at that perfect time, that time God chose. Notice verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And so here, in this verse, a short little verse here, Christ, the creator, the sustainer of all what we have, enters his own creation. <laughs> he enters his own creation, and it seems in the most simple and poorest ways. It, it, it's stunning to think that the creator of the stars, who the Bible tells us that he names the stars, he's now laying under them. <laughs> See, we, we needed God himself to come save us. <laughs> our, our sins were so grave. Our sins kept us from a relationship with the Father. We needed God himself to come. And so the creator himself is here in what seems to be the simplest and poorest of places. Notice there's a manger there. And so clearly he's in some kind of stable Poor families, it was told, that often had small homes and they would bring their animals in even in the, in the winter to keep them because they did not have barns and stables and things like that. That could have been. The early church fathers taught that Jesus was born in the cave of a poor family with the animals around them. Still others say that Mary gave birth in a courtyard or maybe a lean-to on the side of the inn. Whatever it is, because the scripture doesn't tell us, it is clear there's poverty there's rejection, and there's obscurity here. Nobody knows about it, except God. And he records it for us in the scriptures so that we could rehearse this and remind ourselves of the truth. Notice that the baby, she wraps the baby herself. Did you pick that up? And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wraps him in cloths. Women, I, I don't know, I don't want to hear the stories, but I imagine <laughs> you didn't do that. Somebody did that for you. Somebody grabbed that child and did whatever they need to do to children when they're born. This mom's doing it all. And, and it's probably, and this is my thought here, it's probably because they are alone. They're alone. They have no one there to celebrate the birth of this child. There's no place for them in the inn, Luke tells us it's probably a combination of a greedy ruler that God has used to bring them there gossip and rejection of a family and then friends that maybe reached Bethlehem before them and took up all the room they could not travel as fast family members and there they end up in some sort of a barn but regardless God was using all this he's fulfilling prophecy He's fulfilling prophecy. And the, and the writers of the New Testament pick up on this. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Somebody posted this this week as their Christmas verse. I loved it. For, 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 uh, excuse me, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, 
by his poverty might become rich. What a Christmas verse. Is there anyone more wealthy than the owner of the universe? And yet he steps out of heaven in order to rescue us. This quiet, intimate scene here exposed by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures to us expands uh, our, our horizons, our view of the greatness of a God who would do what he did for us. But, praise the Lord, it did not stay there. Point number two, the fulfillment of the promise of God is found in a manger. Now, this announcement with holy angels is spread. It's spread to shepherds now. Notice in verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. The same area, probably with the same level of poverty, are these shepherds. Many believe they're probably watching temple flocks, these flocks that would be raised up and sold to pilgrims as they came in for Passover later that spring. And these lambs would die in the place of their sins and these men often weren't even Jews they were hired they were put out in the on the hills of Judea probably cold at this time having to feed most likely there's not a tremendous amount of grass at that time but they're watching these temple flocks most likely and God chooses of all people all people to expose his glory through the angel of the Lord to these men these nobodies these people that probably wouldn't even be in a census they're out on the hillside and what's unique is you see this angel he's come from God why do you know he's come from God because the glory of the Lord shone around him we know this to be true right Moses on Mount Sinai he travels up and down the mountain quite a few times if you if you count them but when he returns the nation of Israel made him veil his face because they could not stand to look at it because it shone with the what the glory of the Lord and so that tells us this angel's come from, from God himself. He's brightly, he's affected, he's been in the presence of God. And this Shekinah glory uh, melts away uh, um, and, and affects this angel and he shines forth of being in the presence. And the reaction is natural from these shepherds. They're terribly frightened. This is something they've never seen. Maybe, maybe they were exposed to Old Testament texts. Maybe they had heard of the Shekinah glory that filled the temple. But doubtlessly, they were just afraid. The angel does as, it, as they often do. They request them not to be afraid. And there's a reason not to be afraid. <laughs> there's a reason not to fear. It's because of the gospel. Christians are not afraid. You know that? Yeah, we go through times of uncertainty. There are times of periods of, of fear that may grip us, but we are not people who stand on fear because of the good news. We believe the good news. What are you going to do to me? If you take my life, I go to be with my God forever. If things don't work out the way I anticipate it to be, my God still loves me and knows me and even allowed that to happen. And so Christians live without fear. We should at least. 
It's because of this good news. Notice it's not just good news, it's great joyful news. There's nothing greater. That's why we love Christmas, just singing those songs. I got emotional just thinking about this Savior who would leave heaven for me. Why would you do that? A worthless sinner by birth rejected you. All of us did. Don't put yourself above anyone else. And here we all reject God. We're born deprived and away from God. There's no one born righteous. We all fall. Our father and mother, Adam and Eve, led our family into sin. And here he is coming. And so this is great news. And notice this is for all people. We marked this not too long ago, one of our services. This is the the global gospel, isn't it? This is a global Christmas. Yes, he was coming to, to be the good news for the nation of Israel, and he will save a remnant from Israel. But he is for all people, and so we celebrate this text as much as anybody because he came for us, and we thank him for that. But I want you to know that this is a real day. Look at verse 11. NASB says it this way, or the King, King James said it, for unto you is born this day. The NASB says it this way, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this day. I like that little phrase. I got hooked on that. We're studying this. This is a real day. This is not a mythical day. It's a day in history It's not imagined. It's a day when Caesar Augustus was emperor of Rome and Quirinius was a governor of Syria. This is a day. It was a real day in history. This did happen. It was a day planned in eternity, past, before the creation of the world. It was planned by the God who holds the universe and all of its galaxies in its hand. The one who said those, let those exist. And think about this, Colossians 1.16 says, For, this is speaking of Christ, For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, the things you see and the things you don't. Think about this. Whether thrones or dominions, Herod, Satan, demons, rulers or authority, and then this phrase, all things were created through him, and then what does it say? For him. This day was created for him. It's an amazing thought. For unto you is born this day. It's a real day. It's for him. It's for his appearance. It's for the day of his appearance. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth. And the Bible's explaining this. And notice it's a real city in the city of David. This happened in a real city. That city's still there today. It's not North Pole. It's not Middle Earth. It's not a galaxy far, far away. It's Bethlehem. And about 6,000 miles east of here is that town. It still exists to this day. Bethlehem is there. And the Bible's telling you this happened. It's a real city. (laughs) This is where Bethlehem, where David once walked, where his father Jesse was born and lived. This is following that line that Christ was promised that he would come. And so it's a real city. It's, it's really happening. I, I love to think about this. And some of you have been to Bethlehem. It's, it's, it's commerce. There's things going on there. Even if you're there today, you would see that things are happening just like it does here in Ormond Beach. It's a real event. Notice also there's a Savior. 
in the city of David, there has been born for you, I love that little uh, phrase there, for you, a Savior. Born for you, a Savior. If you have ever sinned against God, think about this, you need a Savior. And every one of us has sinned against God. And if you just said, no, I haven't, you just sinned against God. So we're sinners. And this is such great news. He's, he's a savior. He's come to a real city, to a real place, to a real line. The angel said to Joseph, you shall, name his, you shall give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's a savior. And he's here on Christmas Day, what we call Christmas, right? That's why God sent his eternal son into the world because we needed a savior. The son of man, Jesus said, the son of man has the authority to forgive sins. And the the Pharisees mocked him, right? Who can forgive sins but God? He goes, yeah, and I'll do that and I'll raise the guy. Man, it's... um, Isn't that emotional? (laughs) He's here (laughs) in a real city at a real time and he's a savior. He's also the Christ. Notice it says, in the city of David there has been born for you a savior who is Christ. Who is Christ. We get our English word Christ from Christos. It means the anointed one. It's tied to the Messiah. This is the one, the long-awaited one, the long-predicted one, the, the one that was going to set the record straight. This is the only one who could crush the serpent's head. He's here, folks. Just think about this. Hebrews does such a good job with this. He is the final king, the final prophet, the final priest. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says... Everything is yes with him. You know what he means by that? Christ is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. He's the fulfillment of all that. Your Old Testament's worthless without your New Testament. Do you understand that? And there's lots of people who just want to hold the Old Testament. Well, good luck with that. Start with the Ten Commandments and see how well you do. You'll flunk on the first one. Christ came to fulfill the first in order to usher in the second, and that's what we needed, his new covenant. And so he is the final king, he's the final prophet, he's the final priest, he's the one that rules, he's the one who speaks for God, and he's the one who intercedes for you and I. You need no other. And if you're here today thinking that you need some Jesus plus something, oh, that'll drag you right to hell. Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. That's what we need. See, he's the fulfillment for everything Israel needed and everything the church needs, and he'll make us one people someday. He's the Savior and Lord. Notice the word Lord is in there as it finishes up. He's for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love that term. He's ruler. He's sovereign. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. As Isaiah 9 says, he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Wow, the world's looking for peace, aren't they? It doesn't come till he shows up. And you and I, as we'll see in this next section, there's no way to have peace with God outside of him. He's our only hope. 
and all of our family and friend that don't, friends that don't know Jesus Christ, you know what's sad? They're still at war with God. You carry the great news, friends. It's great news because it ends that long war between man and God. Now think about this. Can you see this? Can you see why the angels are so excited here? I want you to think about this. Why are the angels so excited? They've seen everything, haven't they? They were there for the creation. They watched Adam and Eve reject God and believe Satan. They actually saw Satan and his angels fall and he took a third of them with his tail as he left heaven. They've watched man reject God down through the centuries. They watched a nation that he birthed out of Abraham eventually fall away and burn their babies to Baal and go into captivity. They've watched all that happen. They've seen sinful man born and born and born and reject God. And here's this God that they serve perfectly as his his elect angels. He has now given them the opportunity to go say, God's come and he's bringing you peace. What amazing. I I mean, I I don't know what an angel thinks or what he thinks, but I, I can see why they're excited. Are you so excited when you read this? Are you still excited that Christ would come to the earth for us? I've been a Christian a long time, and I I read this, and I'm singing those words, and I'm getting emotional going, I don't know why you did this for me, God, but I am so grateful. Oh, I hope you glory in this day. I hope you're excited at the announcement as you read this. As Pastor Jerry, we were praying a bunch of his elders before, and, and it just struck me, Lord, this never gets old as he prayed that prayer. Third thought, and probably the most important, if you didn't hear anything, I hope you hear this next point. Two gifts all true believers must receive. Two gifts. Verse 12, the angel says, look, there's going to be a sign for you. You'll find the babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then all of a sudden, this is what happens. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, now this is where we want to really sink our teeth into this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So here's this eternal God. His angels are announcing his birth. He has control over all universe. He has sovereign control over all governments. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords, but now he's in a manger on a day in a city. He's a savior. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. He's the God-man. And these angels have two things to tell us. And they announce two very, very important things. They announce that the glory of God is here. You must understand his glory And you must understand that he can give peace. This is their job. Now, as I thought about this, one angel can bring the news, but I I don't think it suffice for it. And so what happens is, as this news is given, it demands this 
army of angels to all of a sudden come. It's a term in, in the original that we don't know the number of it, but can you imagine all these angels who them, they themselves probably came from God and now they're shining with the glory of the Shekinah glory against them and now this whole uh, hillsides are just filled with the glory of God to announce this. <laughs> so yes, one angel gave the original message, but, but they needed an army, an army to tell, tell the whole outcome of it. Verses 13 shows that this multitude was praising God. They're praising God. That, that means giving God all the credit with great joy in your heart. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, God gets credit. No, no. Praising God means you're full of joy, you're gripped by who he is, and, and you, you can't get enough of him. That's what's happening here. This is how these angels are reacting to this, this news. And it's a joyful news, isn't it? It's come at the perfect time. It's fulfilled the perfect prophecy. It's given a Savior that the world needs. It's given a Christ, this anointed one, this Messiah. It's given a Lord who's ruler. And it comes with two great outcomes. One, the glory of God in the highest. The glory of God is understood and realized. And then it comes with peace. It comes with peace. Now, the coming of this child will be the greatest revelation of God yet. God revealed himself to Moses. He spoke to many people. He even spoke through a donkey. I mean, lots of things happened in the Old Testament, but there's nothing compared to this. This is the pinnacle of all time, right? And so the greatest revelation of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and John says, we beheld the glory of the only begotten one. So you see Jesus, you've seen God. Philip, hey, when are we going to see God? Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the, the, the greatest revelation of God now is here in Christ Jesus. Now, this coming child brings peace to God's people. Brings peace. And, and, and he will one day, one day our Lord will rule on this earth and, and he'll set up his kingdom and he'll rule with an iron rod and he will separate sheep and goats and he will do all that perfect rule. He'll do all that. But this is more than that. This is peace that you and I need. And so he says first, God is glorified in this child. Look, this angel saying, look, this God is to be glorified. Glory to God in the highest. All praise is due him. Secondly, peace is to spread everywhere this child's received. So where this child is received, where this Jesus, the son of God, this God man is received, there will be peace. And that's what he's teaching us here. So there's, there's these great gifts that come with Jesus. There's this glory that's ever arising from saved men to God. We glorify God. Some of us do that quiet. Some of us do that a little louder. Um, I don't know how God moves you, but, but you send glory to God as a saved person because you're overwhelmed that he would save you. You glorify him. Not, I hope not just here on Sunday mornings. I hope on Monday school and Tuesday school and other times you, you glorify God. That's the result of knowing him. The second thing is, is there's always peace coming down to us. Think about this. God is not mad at me. He's not angry with me. He is not rejecting me. 
I'm at peace with God. You are too if you know him as your personal savior. So glory to God, peace comes down to men. This is, the, this is what he's telling us. And, and there's, there's hardly a better way to sum up what, what God's about, right? The creator of the world, he, he created the world, now he's come as Jesus Christ to reclaim the world, and he gives us his peace as we see his glory. I just wrote this in my notes. His glory, our joy. His beauty, our pleasure. His greatness, his greatness our amazement. That's what captures me. You know, Scott, how do you keep going? All these years of studying, the sermon after sermon. It's that truth. That this great God would love me. And he would come to earth and give me peace with his Father. This is a Christmas message, brothers and sisters. So we would beg the question, have you seen his glory? And say, well, I, I don't think I've seen an angel on a hillside. I mean, what do you mean, Scott? I tell people this all the time. They say, man, my son or my daughter or this friend or this person or spouse, they just don't seem to love God. And I say, they haven't seen his glory yet. They haven't seen his beauty. They, they haven't looked upon him and said, that's him. I have no hope outside of him. See, that's what it means to see the glory of God and find your only hope in Him. Not your own righteousness, not your own strength, not, not your lineage, your bloodline, your church attendance, none of that. You see Him as your only hope. That's what it means to see His glory. You sing different, you think different, Lord willing, you start to act different as you grow older in the faith. You love different, you give different. Everything changes you because you've seen His glory. And there's lots of people in this room, and I know you personally, you've seen his glory. And you're here today. And there's some of you that haven't. There's some of you that, I don't know why that guy's so wound up up there. I wish he'd settle down and get out of here so we can go have breakfast. When you've seen his glory, it captures you. Glory to God in the highest. And then he says this, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a translation. The earlier translations often said things like goodwill towards men. It just did not handle the original very, very well there. But newer translations have accurately handled it. They talk about one who is the favor of God rest upon or whom he's pleased with, as the NASB says here, or, or I believe the ESV says, among with whom he is pleased. And so the point is, is that even though God offers up peace to all, only his chosen receive it. It's amazing, isn't it? Let me give you an example. Luke chapter, I wrote this down to remember, Luke chapter 10. Jesus is training his disciples, getting ready for their ministry. And he says, when you go into house, Give a blessing of peace. If they are a son of peace, they will receive it. If they're not, it'll come back to you. What a passage. See, God knows whose are his. You go, was well, that fair? Absolutely. We all deserve damnation. And he's God. You want to fight with him? Take that up with him. He never makes any mistakes. And so we understand that he chose us from the foundations of the world. He grants us peace through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's peace in Christ is offered to the world, but only the sons of peace 
receive it. And you go, well, how do you know if you're a son of peace? I know somebody's in here asking that question. How do you know if you're a, a son of peace? And how do you know if you're part of this, this welcome committee, this angels, if they're, if they're talking about you, how do you know that? How can I be at peace? Well, the answer is simply, brothers and sisters and friends, you welcome and submit to the peacemaker. You bend the knee and say, Lord, I'm yours. I got nothing. My good works are filthy rags. I don't even have a good church attendance. I got nothing. But I believe you died for me. And I believe you came to this earth and lived a perfect life and sacrificed for me. And you made peace between me and the Father. And I would never be able to do it. I could not even get into his presence because of my sin. And you did it for me. You died and you've interceded before me. See, that's, that's one who submits to the peacemaker. That's how you know. That's how you know. And, and I know many of us have our struggles, right? Progressive sanctification and growing kind of has some waves in it. We wish it was just this nice, perfect graph, but ours looks like this probably. <laughs> Maybe something like this. Um, but yet there's a, there's a movement, right? There's, you're moving more. He's, he's changing you. You're dealing with things. You're, you're repenting of sin. You're, you're striving for him. You're wanting to see his glory more. You're that's, that shows there's peace in your life. If there isn't peace, you just chase your own dreams. And you push everybody out of the way, including God, to get there. See, my greatest desire for you on this Christmas message morning, just days before we celebrate this with our families, is that you enjoy peace because you've seen his glory. Have you seen it? Do you have a peace within your heart? And he just does amazing things. God's purpose is to give you peace. Jesus said, my, uh, my peace, I what? I give to you. We're going to be celebrating gifts here, right? I mean, giving each other gifts. How many of you are going to give each other, somebody a gift and go, well, that'll be five bucks, Caleb? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, don't have it on me, but I'll get it to you. I'll, I'll owe it to you the rest of my life. Well, that's not much of a gift. See, that's what some churches teach, though, right? Do this, do this, all this legalism. So basically, you get the gift, but then you pay for it all, and hopefully, you finally met the bill at the end of life, and then you get to go in. That's not a gift at all. That's servitude. That's, that's man's works. See, see, Jesus says, my peace, I give it to you. It has no strings attached to it. You do not owe me anything. I give it to you. I accomplished it for you. See, this is the announcement of the angels. This is what they're so excited about. Because they know there's no way to get in the presence of God unless you wear the righteousness of God. So they know that God's going to give those people on earth that he deems that he's going to have peace with, he's going to give them the righteousness of his son so they can stand in his presence forever. They know what he's going to do at some level. Paul says, Jesus himself is our peace in Ephesians 2.14. Where are you trying to find peace? Got struggles in your marriage? Struggles raising children? Struggles financially? Where's, where are you lacking peace at? Well, the Bible says, Jesus says, I, I'll give you peace, and Jesus himself is our peace. And yes, we'll have trials and tribulations in this life. Jesus himself said that. 
but they cannot take away our resting peace in God. If you want peace to rule in your life, God must rule your life. Christ must rule your life. God's purpose is not to give you peace separated from him. No amount of military buildup can bring the peace of God. As much as we're (laughs) pro-military. It comes from God. His purpose is to give you peace. And it just amazing things happen. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us that we've been justified by faith and we have the peace of God, so we're no longer at war with God. Um, and then we begin to realize that we can have peace with ourselves. Some of you need peace with yourself, don't you? You're wrestling, you're struggling, you're battling of your belief system. You're in a battle till the Lord comes home because, uh, comes back because you're going to wrestle with yourself whether, you know, did I measure up, Right? Peace with God says, I rest in Jesus Christ. And because he loves me, I will strive to live for him by his grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll strive to live for him. But he is the work. He does the work within me. See, there's a difference of trying hard, sola bootstrap this, and I have boots on, sola bootstrap this yourself up. Oh, that's not peace. Maybe you got the whole scale system going, Right? Maybe you made some bad choices when you were younger. And you're going off, how's that all going to work out in the end? It's not. (laughs) Christ balances the scale. He gives you peace. Maybe you're looking for peace with those you live with. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, "If, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all men we got to strive to live peaceful with one another. Some of us can't fix some of those things. Maybe there's someone that just has an ax to grind against you. You've done everything you can. You've asked for forgiveness. You've tried to work with them. Paul says, hey, that's what God has you do. That's what the gospel helps you do. But it gives us peace. And, and, and there's many in here. I mean, this is a large church. And, and, and we're at peace with one another, I hope. We love one another. We greet each other. We love one another because God's given us peace and we're a family together and so we weep and we go to hospitals and we feed each other and we, and we care for each other. We laugh at each other's dumb jokes. We, we do all kinds of things, don't we? Because we're at peace with one another. And, and then all the bitterness, Paul, Paul addresses this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, those are pretty ugly words, aren't they? Be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ, what? Forgave you. This is what you get. <laughs> you can go up to a brother and sister in this room when it's done. Maybe some of you need to do this before Christmas happens. You need to come up and say, hi, I've hold that offense against you, and I, I want to apologize and ask your forgiveness. Because God's, God sent his son to give me peace. I've seen his glory, and I want to I have peace with you. We all can't control some of the things that are going to happen in the next few days. I don't know your story, but you may have family that comes in that are difficult, and you may be struggling in some way. Do your job. Do your part. Be at peace with all men as far as your, as far as your part, and God will give you that. Continue to cultivate a sense of amazement of Jesus Christ. So I, I'm going to just hit my last point just real quick, and we'll be done here. Think about this. Ask God for a Christmas gift. Ask God for a Christmas gift. Say, God, will you further my amazement of your son? 
Ask him. Do you think he won't give you that? Ask him. Say, God, give me a further amazement at your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm weak at times. I'm selfish. I think of myself sometimes. Would you give me a further amazement? See what he does. Last for the response of those who receive God's gift. I think there's a beautiful response that I don't want to leave out here. Let me just read these verses and then we'll be done. When the angel had gone away from there into heaven, he went back to God, didn't didn't they? And the shepherds began saying to one another, what do you do when you've seen the glory of God? You obey him. (laughs) They go, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord, they didn't say the angels, notice what they said, the Lord has made known to us. Wait a minute, you go, it was the angels. No, it's God, they know it. And so they obey. When you hear the word, obey it. Not, not from a begrudgingly standard, Lord, I want to obey your word lovingly. And that's what these men do. Look at verse 16. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the babe as, it was, as he lie, lay in the manger. And when they had seen it, They made known the statement which had been told them about the child. Oh, now you got some fellowship going on, right? Well, Joseph, yeah, an angel talked to me. I was about ready to divorce her. And Mary's going, I don't know what I was going to (laughs) do. But this angel explained what was going to happen. And and these stories start flying. There's a narrative, and I'm reading a little into this, so this is my thoughts here. But there must have been an amazing conversation that happens. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. The glory of God shone around the angels. Can you imagine that story of these poor men telling this? And then, notice verse 19. But Mary treasures all these things and ponders them in her heart. Fast forward 33 years and she's watching her son die. Oh, Mary looking at her son going he's dying for me what amazing she treasures these things she ponders them and the shepherds went back and I love this last verse glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as they had been told ask God to give you a greater amazement at Jesus Christ. I would say something like this, Lord, if you don't give me anything for Christmas, give me that. Give me an amazement for your son. Father, Pastor Jerry was right, this story doesn't get old because it's a gospel. And it's fresh every time we hear it, Lord, it stirs our hearts. We don't know why you chose to set peace on us, Lord, the believers in this room. We we can't explain that. You're sovereign. You're, You're perfect in all that you do. But, Lord, we are so grateful you showed us your glory. And you let us sing about it, preach about it, tell one another about it. You let us witness to the world, both here and abroad. Thank you for capturing us with your son's glory. And Lord, thank you for peace. We're no longer at war with you, Father. 
In fact, we've gone from at war with you to you are our Abba Father. You are our Daddy Father. You're the one we can crawl up next to and weep with and rejoice with and you understand us and you love us and you'll never reject us because all that your Son did for us. So we stand amazed, Lord, and we would ask, as I've just asked this congregation, I ask for myself, give me a greater amazement of your Son, Lord. That is the gift we ask for. May we revel and marvel in a God who stepped out of heaven, assumed flesh, and died for us so we could have eternal peace with the Father. We say this with open and pure hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.